Thursday night. And we're in here. I got some upbeat music on because it's my birthday tomorrow, which means at 12 a.m., I'm going to be 36 years old, which is crazy. Who would have thought that Larry Luciato Crane, your host, would ever made it to 36 years old? I am more than a quarter of the way through this whole thing. And it is crazy. Am I a third through? I'd say, yeah. <laughs> Maybe more than a third through this journey we call life. So it's good to be with you, though, on this Thursday night. I'm broadcasting to you live from Newark, New Jersey, overlooking Broad Street in Newark, overlooking the Newark skyline and overlooking the New York City skyline as I'm looking at scattered smoke and a misty sky and the Empire State Building lit aglow in bright white lights. I'm excited to speak to you tonight about a couple things. Although the news hasn't been kind to me, has it? I would have thought that my birthday podcast would have been more upbeat. We would have talked about infrastructure. We would have talked about, you know, something uplifting. But instead, we're going to be talking about division. As always, as it seems, the division keeps coming back and back around and back around and back around. It's a proven media narrative. It's a proven clickbait thing. It's a proven way to get people's emotions stirring, and I understand why. We've lost yet another young black man to violence. And I'll get into the specifics of that case. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of misinformation out there regarding that case. And there's there's a lot going on regarding something that I've long discussed when it comes to lives lost and the fact that we need to step up to protect these lives. Um, and thank you for the happy born day. I appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, this this fits in in a certain way, and I think we need to discuss it because I think I think it, it, it warrants discussion. And, and I, you know, I tend to be the one, I guess, who gets on this microphone weekly and who expresses the facts and reports on the facts and nothing but the objective facts and who's willing to, you know, step up to the line and be honest with you every week. And it seems that there is a... A minimal amount of people willing to do that. So I'm here with you. We're going to talk about that. I'd like to remind you that anything and everything I say on this show is strictly my personal opinion. As a private citizen, it does not reflect in any way, shape, or form any other entity. It does not speak for anybody else. I don't speak in any professional capacity whatsoever. I'm speaking purely as a private citizen and nothing more. And shout out to Jay White out here on the cast. Now, first thing I want to touch on just briefly is this COVID saga, guys. It continues to drag on. COVID continues to rise in cases. We have this now myriad of different, you know, scattered across the United States, different regulations. Some states have no regulations. Some states have banned you from even implementing regulations. Some states are clinging to regulations. Some states have <laughs> regulations within regulations, like New Jersey, for instance. Newark, New Jersey, is closing everything at 11 p.m. on the weekends and still has very strict restrictions in place for certain uh, commercial enterprises. Whereas New Jersey, New Jersey has opened up. So it's kind of an interesting – and New Jersey hasn't fully opened up, but it's interesting because 
even within states, there's, you know, differences in how things are regulated with COVID. And COVID is still hurting the economy and COVID is still hurting us mentally. It's crazy that I'm turning 36 tomorrow. And I was thinking about the fact that from 34, 34 was the last time I had a nice celebratory birthday and everybody was around and it was a great time. Because then the end of 2020, well, the end of 2019, I'm sorry, it was the end of it. Because by March 2020, we were shut down and my 35th birthday was spent in the utmost solitude, quarantined away. And uh, kind of lost a year of living from, you know, in my mid-30s. I went from 34 to 36 really quick and kind of lost some time. I feel like I really lost some valuable time. And that's that's it. Um, but it is what it is, as they say. And so here we are. And we continue this trek uh, regarding COVID. And we have a lot of reluctance regarding people taking the vaccine. I've seen more and more memes come out about the fact that people are not taking the vaccine, the fact that it's uh, risky to do so, that people are nervous to take it. I did get my first shot. That was Pfizer. I got it last Wednesday. I went through it on the show with you guys. It was easy. Uh, I had very minimal side effects from the first shot. From what I understand, the second shot is worse. Uh, so I, I await that, and I'm not excited about it. But the second shot is scheduled for April 28th, and that's when I'll be getting it. So I, I wait to see how that's going to go, and I'm not too excited about it. But this week, and by the way, before I even get into this little tidbit of news, I want to apologize ahead of time for the audio quality because I realized what it is. You guys are probably hearing the, the music is going, but my voice and the music is kind of going in and out. Sometimes it sounds close and good and robust. Other times it seems far away and thin. That's my phone. So I'm going to have to get a new phone because when I had the callers last week, they sounded more, you know, far away from when I was doing it live. But when I imported the audio later, they were very, very clear. So I think it's definitely an audio issue with my phone. So I'll rectify that soon. And I apologize for the audio quality. You guys want to hear the music. You want to hear my voice. You want to hear it clearly. You don't want to hear the bullshit. So I'll get it fixed. But anyway, this week, you know, hurting the effort further to get people to take the vaccine, further hindering our ability to get people enthusiastic about taking the vaccine. We had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It came out that several people had developed blood clots after taking the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And because of that, the CDC and the United States government has placed the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on a pause. And they placed it on a pause to just assess the risk factor and the, you know, how predominant that risk is, how risky it is, whether or not we should continue to administer the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And obviously that's caused even more anxiety within the populace. It's, it's given fodder to anti-vax people. It's given fodder to those who are against the vaccine because now they can post that, you know, Johnson & Johnson causes blood clots. I told you. I told you not to trust this vaccine. And we're kind of in that space now. And that's not a good thing. And there's no way around it. Six people who took the Johnson & Johnson vaccine have developed blood clots. One person died. The other person's in critical condition. Um, interestingly, I mean, I wouldn't say interestingly, but just a fact, 
7.7 million people have taken the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And out of those 7.7 million, uh, only six had developed these clots. But that's not an excuse. I mean, if six people develop clots and one dies and one's in critical condition, then that's a serious issue, right? Anybody, any kind of uh, complication with a vaccine is trouble. And Johnson & Johnson now has six people who developed serious blood clots. One died, one in critical condition. There was a man from Mississippi who was 43 years old. He developed uh, blood clots about a week after taking the vaccine. He now, they think he had a stroke. He's paralyzed on one side of his body. He can't speak. And he was healthy aside from just taking blood pressure medication, which unfortunately in my old age, I take blood pressure medication as well. Um, so it's no joke and they're pausing it, but it, it is important to put in perspective. There has been 7.7 .7 million shots administered of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and only six out of the 7.7 .7 million have developed these clots that we know of. But it is paused. It is making it harder to get people enthusiastic about being vaccinated. So it is creating a problem that we've now got to deal with as we continue to try to get enough people vaccinated and get to enough of a critical mass that we can open up and the economy can spring back to life. And we can deal with the things we've been wanting to deal with and we can get back on track. So this is a big setback as far as economics. It's a big setback in terms of getting back to reality and normal life and our own sanity. And in general, it's a big setback medically that there were complications with this vaccine. But it is what it is, as I will continue to say tonight, unfortunately. Now, it's important to note that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is only a small, small percentage of the overall vaccines that we've been distributing in the United States. The majority of the vaccines that we've been distributing have actually been Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. And Pfizer came out recently saying that there may be a third booster shot required or it may be an annual thing. That makes sense because there's different strains now present. They're more deadly. So unfortunately... We might be in a place going forward where we are stuck with this uh, booster shot regime of vaccines and we're going to have to continue to deal with it uh, for the foreseeable future, which is not going to be fun. It's not going to be good, but at least we have some way to keep ourselves up to date and to open up. Um, but most of the vaccines are Moderna. Most of the vaccines are Pfizer. So while the Johnson & Johnson setback hurts our ability to continue to pump vaccines out, hurts our ability uh, to get a critical mass vaccinated, it's not as uh, much of an issue as you would have thought because Moderna and Pfizer far outweigh the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It hurts much more in perception because now that people see what happened with J&J, &J, they're hesitant to take any vaccine. And in New Jersey, we're vaccinating people at a fairly good rate, but in Newark proper, we're struggling because a fair amount of the populace here is hesitant, and this doesn't help. So that's the vaccine news. It's tough. It's something we got to deal with, and uh, it's something to keep in mind as we go forward. Now, to, to kind of pivot, right, to kind of pivot, as I grow older... Now being the age that I am, now being 36, I find myself, and I wonder if anybody else who's around this age or 
well into their 30s or approaching their 30s feels this way. I'd like to know if you do. Comment in the comment section if you do. I've had this this odd sense of impending dread, right? And I don't mean to be melodramatic, and I don't mean to insinuate that I'm in some kind of mental crisis. I am not, I assure you. I assure you. But there seems to be this foreboding over me where it seems like things in this world and this society continue to get worse and worse and progressively worse. I have this sense that the way things were, the way things could have been, the potential that we saw in yesteryear are quickly fleeting and society is headed down this uncontrollably uh, exponential path toward destruction. <laughs> and I know, again, this is melodramatic, this language is crazy, but, but bear with me. It got me to thinking, right? It got me to thinking. Has the world always been on a perpetual path toward, you know, its eventual destruction from the human perspective? Because it seems as though as far back as we go in history, as far back as we go in human history, you can find somebody who was getting to middle age who said that, you know, the world was much more fruitful and joyous in their youth and the world and the new generation was taking the world straight to hell and they couldn't take it anymore, right? But we know in hindsight that some of those people from our perspective were full of it because the world got better from where they were standing, right? So I was asking myself this question. Is the world just going down always over and over from people who are aging, who are having trouble coping with an evolving world? Or have human beings, since their departure from Eden, and I say that mythologically, but whether you're a believer or not is up to you, since their departure from nature, from the serenity of nature and a natural existence, from their first stumbling upon the power of logic and emotion and self-reflection, introspection, if you will. Have human beings been sensing and have human beings had the sense that perhaps our world was going in a direction that was uncontrollable and that would result in our ultimate demise or the ultimate demise of nature and the beauty in the world as we know it? I don't know. But it seems now, it seems as though... We are on a decline societally, especially in the United States of America. We have promise. We've seen progress in this society. We've seen, in some ways, tension amongst the races go down. We've seen, in some ways, hate amongst people's gender identities, sexual preferences, racial identities. We've seen some of it go down and we've gotten more tolerant. But on the other hand, it seems as though we're on this perpetual glide and dissension into destruction because we're constantly fighting over those same things. And I was just wondering, do we have this universal sense in the Carl Jung sense of impending doom because we've created a societal monster that's off its rails and we can't control it anymore through our own doing? Or is this just the simple life cycle of individual humans who have trouble coping with reality? That in your youthful sense, when you're young and the bliss is all over the place and fantasy abounds, you can get lost in fantasy and you can forget about the fact 
that life is tough and forget about the the harsh realities that we must deal with as people and that as you get older you come to the realization that your life is finite that the world is harsh and that reality is not blissful it's not mystical but it's very hard and honest and true and it's a hard thing to swallow i don't know reason i bring that up is that we have gotten into this dichotomy recently where you know we have a new administration in the white house we've been talking on this show about the fact that we focus too much on individual issue individual instances of racial tension and we focus too much on individual instances of mass shootings but if we really wanted to tackle a problem if we really wanted to tackle an underlying disease that we would have to expand as a people we would have to intellectually expand and we would have to start attacking our problems at the root and that if we were going to deal with gun violence for instance we would need to tackle the predominant gun violence which occurs on our inner city streets every day and not only focus on assault weapons and ar-15s and mass shootings and there seems to be hope right because i saw i said last week that mayor Roz baraka had gone to dc because the president had started to discuss gun violence in terms of a an epidemic that was uh, a social justice based epidemic that was affecting people of color at an alarming rate and that if we were going to attack it we were going to do it with gun trafficking we were going to focus on handguns and things of that nature New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. And look, whether these reforms affect lawful gun owners or affect people illegally dealing with guns, it remains to be seen. But Governor Murphy today was in Newark and he made an announcement that dealt with gun laws. And he specifically dedicated 10 million extra dollars to street level ambassadors whose mission it was to quell and calm the violence on our city streets. And it, these people, I, I talked about these people last week. It seems as though when I speak things, all of a sudden people start to do things. And it has nothing to do with me. I'm not that pretentious. I don't think it has anything to do with me saying it. I just think that, that collectively we are getting more cognizant of our actual problems. And collectively we are starting to awaken and realize how to actually solve the problem lies within the root rather than the symptom. So it was encouraging to see Governor Murphy allot this money to street teams who are going to try to quell violence on the streets, on the street corners. And he said that controlling illegal gun violence, illegal guns, he even said, now, whether you agree with the laws, proposals, and practice, we'll talk about, but he even said that this wasn't about legal gun owners. He said it, finally, somebody said it on the left. He said this was about illegal gun owners. And that addressing illegal gun violence is a social justice issue. And we had been discussing that on this show. So on the one hand, you want to feel empowered. You want to feel like we're going in the right direction. You want to feel like societally we are evolving in the right place. And, and, and CLR points out it needs to be a national plan. That is 100% true. I've said that. If it's only a state plan, it's too insulated. It's not going to work. If it's a national plan that crosses state borders, it can certainly have an impact. But it seems like we're evolving. But then, then something happened this week. 
And something happened this week that I thought from a, a multitude and myriad of angles warranted deep discussion on this podcast. I purposely refrained from discussing the events much online on social media because the narrative is flying at such a fast pace and the rhetoric is so potent and the passions are so high that had I weighed in in piecemeal before information was fully available, had I weighed in on text instead of vocally, I think it would have led to misunderstandings, miscommunications, and I wouldn't have gotten the conversation out as robustly as I think it needs to be out regarding the events of this week. Now, I will say that individuals have reached out to me personally and discussed the issues, and they have genuinely had nuanced opinions of things, and they had genuinely been concerned about where our society is going on a, on a, from a number of angles. But not everybody is a vocal public person, and not everybody is going to stand amidst the chaos and stand amidst the competing rhetoric and stand amidst uh, the peer pressure and speak facts and speak truth and let it flow. And so I, for whatever reason, have taken on that responsibility in some regard, albeit with my limited audience. And I can simply cannot just stand by and not recite the cold, hard facts, unbiased, unemotional, and proceed from there. While I was so encouraged by what seemed to be our evolution in thought as to how we can address the inequities in this country and how we could start addressing the lives that we lose on a daily basis through gun violence and various criminal elements and other things. We lost another young man this week. We lost Dante Wright. This case involved a police officer who reportedly meant to draw her taser and even screamed taser, taser on the body cam, but withdrew her service weapon, which was a Glock, and fired a single shot, which killed, ultimately, a young man named Dante Wright. Now, the initial reports, and I want you, as we discuss this particular case, listen to the jazz music I'm playing, and I don't say that to be facetious, and I don't say that as a joke. Breathe in your nostrils. Breathe out your mouth. Get to a place where you're calm where your emotions are left behind in some other podcast and some other discussion, some other space. I am going to give you just the facts. And when I give you the facts, they're not meant to influence you one way or the other. They're not meant to disparage the police officer. They're not meant to disparage the young man. They're not meant to alter your perception of the narrative. They are simply the facts and unfortunately, we don't have that going on right now. We have the media reporting one set of events. We have right-wing media sites reporting another. 
We have no understanding of the issue we're even discussing, which is leading to rioting in the streets and pontification and rhetoric of all sorts from people who haven't delved into what occurred. I'm here as an unbiased person to spit the facts out. That's what I do. I put my reputation on the line to do it. You guys know me. I My conscience is clear. My soul is clear. I have no reservations about putting the facts out. If anybody wants to disparage my character, that's their business. But I know that my reputation in the community and with people is good enough that I can reiterate the facts without fear of being disparaged. This young man was pulled over by police. While he was being pulled over, he called his mother. He indicated to his mother, he first of all, he called his mother reportedly to get the registration information for the vehicle because he didn't have the registration or insurance information for the vehicle on him. Apparently, the mother gave him this car. He called his mother. She was on the phone through part of this. While on the phone, at some point, the police turned Mr. Wright around to handcuff him. It's on body camera that he did not allow them to handcuff him. He did not allow himself to be apprehended. He broke free of the handcuffs. He broke free of their grasp. He jumped into the vehicle. He sat behind the wheel. He was about to take off in the vehicle. In fact, even after being shot, he did take off in the vehicle. Now, initial reports were that from his mother were that he was pulled over for having an air freshener in his car. And initial reports that circulated very quickly, and this is by virtue of Twitter, right? Anybody on the ground can be a reporter, even if they're not a reporter. And the first thing they hear, they tweet. And once they tweet it, it goes viral. So the first thing reported was that he was pulled over for an air freshener and he was murdered in cold blood for an air freshener. Even now that more and more and more facts have come out and reputable news sources have done their best to report the facts of the situation, there are people that are clinging to that narrative that he was pulled over for an air freshener and murdered in cold blood. Right-wing websites are now coming out and saying that Dante Wright was wanted for an armed robbery, and that's why he was pulled over. Right-wing sites are trying to paint him a certain way. But the mainstream media is trying to paint the situation a certain way. Okay? Now, what I'm about to tell you is nothing but a factual reaccounting of what occurred, which debunks both the right-wing disparagement and the left-oriented, which is really the mainstream, false narrative. Dante Wright has a pending case for armed robbery. The allegation is that when he slept over a woman's house with his friend after a party, he woke up in the morning, she was given rent money by somebody else. He took a handgun. He said, we're going to hit some stains, which apparently in Minnesota lingo is we're going to rob you. He put a gun to her. He put his hand around her neck and he demanded her rent money. He reached into her bra to take the rent money. He was unsuccessful in obtaining the rent money. She threatened him that the cops were on their way. He left. He was out on bail on that charge. He violated the conditions of bail on that charge. And he was later picked up for that case. And he was again released on that case. So he was released on the armed robbery case, which is still, which was still pending on him. 
He was released on it. He wasn't due back in court for the armed robbery case until August. So he didn't have an open warrant for the armed robbery when the police pulled him over. So that's that's a lie. But he did have an open case for armed robbery when he was pulled over. And he was due back in court in August. Now, before he was pulled over and this tragedy occurred, but after that incident, there was another call in Minneapolis about an individual in a car with a handgun. Police showed up on the scene. I don't remember how it was identified that the individual with the handgun was Mr. Wright. But they showed up on the scene. Mr. Wright ran away from the police. He got away from them. And they did find a loaded handgun in the car where he was sitting. So he was never caught on the handgun charge. So there was an outstanding warrant for a handgun at the time the police pulled him over when the tragedy occurred. There was an outstanding warrant for a handgun and a pending case for armed robbery. Police did, in fact, pull him over for not having for expired registration. Once they pulled him over for the expired registration, they also noted and and reiterated to him that there was an obstruction, which was the air freshener. We all agree the air freshener obstruction is nonsense. They got to do away with that law or something. Okay, everybody has air fresheners in their car. All right. But that wasn't the reason it was pulled over. It was an expired tag. So when you run somebody's license and it comes up that the tag's expired, you don't know what's going on in the car. You pull them over. Now, upon pulling him over, the police ran his name. Now, when police run somebody's name, they're going to see everything that's in the court system at the time. So as police are making the decision to apprehend Mr. Wright, they do see that he has a case pending for an armed robbery with a weapon. They do see that he has an outstanding warrant for a handgun. And they do see the problems with the vehicle. So they do know that this particular suspect is wanted for violent crime. So they are dealing with somebody who's innocent until proven guilty. He's not guilty yet. He never stood trial. Innocent until proven guilty. But a violent suspect as far as they know. They have to take him in at that point, okay? They can't just let him go. If he gets in the car and flees, they can't just say, oh, well, whatever. If it was a misdemeanor, like a – and by the way, the handgun in Minnesota, because Minnesota's more lax with their gun laws, is actually a misdemeanor. So the handgun warrant was technically a misdemeanor, but it was a handgun warrant. They know somebody who's got two pending cases for handgun offense. Not to mention that I tell you guys over and over when I'm dealing with crime in my home city, lives that are lost, mostly black lives that are lost in my city are due to high-speed chases and stolen vehicles that hit pedestrians and hit other drivers. So they can't let somebody with that history just flee in the car with his girlfriend in the car and putting people at risk. The cops are half hanging in the car, and at that juncture, the police officer takes out her, what what she says was a taser, and goes to shoot him, but it's a gun, and, and he tragically passes away. Now, subsequently, this officer was charged with manslaughter, second degree manslaughter. And here's the thing. The police officer deserves to be charged with manslaughter, which is a form of homicide. The police officer deserves to be charged. You can't if the if the rules of engagement. If the rules are engaged of engagement are. 
You are to tase a suspect in that situation than you are to tase a suspect. And if you use your gun and kill the suspect, then you are guilty of manslaughter, which is murder. She's guilty of it. She's going to stand trial for it. Even if it was an honest mistake, she's guilty. Now, I don't know, right? I'm not inside the woman's head. I don't, I'm not inside the department. I don't know. People are saying it's cold-blooded murder. I would say, personally, just as a person with common sense, somebody with 25 years in for a suspect that's wanted for a robbery who she's trying to handcuff peacefully, did she purposefully kill him just, just for the heck of it? She threw her whole life away. Her life is flushed down the toilet. She's worked a whole career. Life is flushed in the toilet, and she deserves it. She deserves it to be flushed down the toilet. But did she do it on purpose? I have a hard time believing that. But I'm not the authority. I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm here to report the facts. Now, people are rioting all across the country, and specifically in Minnesota. And I, I wonder this about that. They're rioting... But last time we asked, why are people rioting? People's response was, well, we riot because nobody's being held accountable. No one's charged. But in this case, she was charged. So why are people rioting? Here's what I'll say. And here's what I want to delve into in terms of society. Where are we going as a society? There are definite situations wherein... Young black men are targeted by people for racist reasons. And there is a definite predominance of young black men dying in this country for various, from various different trigger men because of inequalities and because of the poisoned route that I constantly talk about. But when you had a case like Ahmaud, Ahmaud Aubrey, who was basically a modern-day lynching, he did absolutely nothing in two men who were not even... Police officers killed him in cold blood. You didn't see the same media proliferation as you see with this. And I think this case, I think this case exemplifies another black man dead at the hands of a violent country with inequality and racism that has set up certain people to fail and to be put at risk. But do I think that this particular case was a situation where a racist police officer pulled over somebody just for their race and then killed them just for their race? No. This case, this case, and I don't think anybody's disputing that the police officer screwed up, but what I'm disputing is there's a narrative out there now. That you can't drive around with an air freshener because you'll be murdered, especially if you're a person of color. What that does is devalue people of color. It makes them scared that you can't even have an air freshener in your car. The police are going to murder you in cold blood. But that's not true, right? This was somebody who was involved in the criminal justice system, and this was a police officer, and it was a tragedy, and it ended in tragedy and the police officer's life is ruined and she's going to hopefully go to prison and she's hopefully going to be convicted of, of manslaughter. And the individual who had a, a issues with law enforcement, who had interacted with them on more than one occasion, wound up, unfortunately, passing away. This was a tragic event that occurred 
out here in the violent country that we call America, where consistently and constantly people are coming into contact with police, people are committing violent crimes, people are dying by violent crime. And this is another example of that situation. It's being misreported. Misreported that this was a pullover for an air freshener and a murder in cold blood. This was, there's more complexities to this. And why do I care? Why does it matter? Well, if we are ever to make strides as a society, we've got to see the progress we've made as well. And we cannot take situations. Not every situation is solely premised upon and not every situation is completely and utterly and exclusively dictated upon by race. Sometimes race is an ancillary consideration after the fact to what occurred. The fact is this was a wanted person. This was a police officer. This person went to run this police officer either intentionally or by accident. Ended her life basically in his life by doing this. But is it race based? In the sense that young black men are consistently the victims of this type of thing because of the poisoned root and the poisoned country that we've given them, yes. In the sense that this particular case revolved around race, no. No. And what I find troubling is so many people out here who want to make it that way. If you bring up the facts that I just brought up, they say you're you're biased. You're trying to disparage somebody like all I'm doing is reporting the facts of a situation that I didn't create. It's almost as if people want it, including the mainstream media, CNN, all these mainstream outlets, it's almost like they wanted it to be an air freshener. They almost wanted somebody to be murdered just with no other interaction, no other context. That's what they want almost. It's like they're pushing an agenda. And it's a little scary. Because no one should feel that the likelihood of them complying with police officers and having an air freshener in their car is going to result in their death. And I don't say that because I say anybody deserves to die. No one deserves to die. This officer deserves to be prosecuted. This young man did not deserve to die. Police are not the judge, jury, and executioner. They're not. They're not allowed to just kill somebody in cold blood because they have a warrant. They're not. But they do have to apprehend violent suspects who are running in vehicles. They do. They do. And so the narrative becomes that somebody was pulled over for an air freshener, complied, did everything they're supposed to do, and then was killed. So why even comply? Why even cooperate ever if you're going to get killed in cold blood anyway? Well, here's my thing. I'm not in the business of ideology and pontification, and I'm not in the the business of just pounding the table to advance my own political agenda. Okay? I'm not in the business of doing that. I'm in the business of saving lives day to day. So if I can save a life... I'm going to say what will save a life. And what I will say is whether police officers are biased, whether police officers are negligent, whether police officers are careless, whether police officers are not trained properly, whatever the issue is, 
police officers have guns. Whether they're justified or not, your life is in the hands of somebody with a gun. Every state has laws on the books which say even if the police officer is wrongfully arresting you, you must comply because they're trying to minimize risks to the officer and to the person being arrested. In court, it will get sorted out. If it's a wrongful arrest, then you will be acquitted. The cop can be sued. The cop might be fired. But the worst thing any individual can ever do in interacting with anybody with a gun, whether you're being robbed and you're, you're going to fight or comply, you should comply. Even though it's wrong for them to rob you, you should not fight somebody with a gun. If an officer is trying to make an arrest or tell you to do something, they've got a gun, you should listen. I'm not blaming the victim. I'm just trying to save a life. And anybody out there who wants to say that I'm just speaking out of nonsense and I don't talk about I've been arrested. And I've been arrested where the matter has gotten thrown out later in court. But I'm scared of the individuals with the guns, and I turned around and got cuffed. And there's been other cases where I've pulled over on a dark road. And, you know, you could say whatever you want. How dare I say that I was threatened? But just as I can't tell other people how they feel, you can't tell me how I felt. I felt threatened. It was a dark road. I was a young man in my early 20s. Police officer pulled me over for something. I had no clue why. He came to my window and let me tell you something. He addressed my personal life and personal history and threatened me. He knew who I was personally and there was problems, I guess, with people he knew. And he had a gun and no one was around and it was dark and it was night. And he made a comment about me and my history. He cursed at me and he intimidated the hell out of me. And I'll tell you what. I kept both hands on the steering wheel. I nodded and I waited till I drove away to scream about how angry I was and how much BS it was. Not because he was right, not because it was my fault that he was abusing his power, but because he had a gun and we were alone. And I understand that it's 20 times worse when you're a person of color in this country and you're in the same situation. I understand that. 100%. But still, the best way to make sure you get home safe is to comply. This young man deserved his day in court. This young man did not deserve what happened. This officer deserves to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But he needed to be handcuffed and he needed to go and face the charges. And that's not blaming him. That's talking to all of you, and I'm, I'm appealing to your better nature that you know me and that you know I'm not here to disparage anybody or to mislead anybody, but I can't stand by and watch certain narratives destroy the work that we've done in unifying ourselves and bettering and advancing our society and get us more and more divided. And and and. and that case aside, and I, I thank you for, for bearing with me, hearing it out. You're entitled to your own opinion. You want to be enraged? You want to stay believe, saying that it was a, a, a you know an air freshener? You want to be angry? You, you can have your own opinion. I just wanted to report the facts, and I had to do it. I can't sit around and not report the facts. It's not in my nature, and I owe it to you to report them if you're listening to me and my show. And that's my take on it, but... 
you know, I've noticed that and, – and, and Devon, I saw what you said before. You said it pays the bills, and I have to agree with that. The more divisive it is, the more egregious it appears, the more clicks you get, the more engagement you get with people arguing, the more people you get in the streets, the more coverage you get from the people in the streets, the more engagement you get on posts from that, and it creates a cycle of ratings – and advertising and engagement and clicks, which generates revenue for media outlets. So the more egregious they can make it, the better for them. It sounds it sounds almost like a conspiracy theory, doesn't it? But you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But it almost sounds like there's a concerted effort to put forth a certain spin on things to generate more divisiveness, which generates more anger, which generates more engagement, which generates more revenue, right? I think that the conversation would be much more nuanced and that it would be much less along racial lines if the initial report hadn't been that it was over an air freshener, right? It would have been more nuanced, like, okay, I see the full scope of this. Let's discuss. This is still horrible. She still deserves to be prosecuted, but this is a tragedy. Let's delve into what transpired. But they have an agenda to make everybody believe it's a certain way. And I, I am astounded that so many people that I see that I respect regurgitate this agenda, regurgitate this stuff without thinking about it. I find it just odd. I don't know. But they have a vested interest in portraying it that way, which is a binary, single-minded way. Why do I bring that up? Well, here's the other thing that's been going on this week that's really troubled me with regard to this, this race baiting. And this is going somewhere that that is beyond race. So stick with me a little bit, right? There is a show that came out recently, right? And it was on it came out on Amazon Prime. And it's called Them. And ever since Get Out came out, which by the way, Get Out was a phenomenal masterpiece, A of a horror film, and B as a critique of racism, especially a type of covert racism that we don't talk about very much, which is that envious, almost liberal-esque racism. Get Out was a masterpiece for that reason, and it really captured and encapsulated racism as a horror as well as just this general amazing horror film. And ever since then, Jordan Peele is brilliant. He's long been brilliant, but his comedy is very nuanced, very cerebral. Ever since then, there's been Jordan Peele coming out with further uh, films and, and, and works, but also other people who have tried to imitate what Jordan Peele had done. They tried to recreate that same um, racial tension-based throwback horror flick because it was so successful. And when there's a proven thing that works, you don't want to stop doing it, right? Well, they came out with this Them film, this Them show. I didn't watch it. And and if you're going to watch it, then tune off now because I'm going to drop a spoiler. Somebody on my friends list said, geez, Them, you know, too brutal, man. A little, a little too harsh. I don't know that I could handle it. Another young lady on my Facebook who happens to be of color said, you know, I've seen enough black trauma. I don't need to watch that. I don't need that. I don't need that. So I looked up what happened. Apparently at the end of this show, it's about people trying to move into the suburbs in the 50s and the racists that are around them. And that's a valid critique, right? We know that suburbanization in the 50s was largely a racist endeavor and that many neighborhoods purposefully excluded African-Americans, which is why we're in part of the trouble we're in today. Again, this poisoned route. Well, the, the series apparently ended with these white supremacists or something. Throwing around a black baby 
murdering a baby like an infant, sexually assaulting an infant and murdering it brutally. And that was the culmination of the end of the season of the show Them. And and I I thought about it and I said, geez, how how far? It seems like every film about race, everything now has this this angry element, this 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 element that gets you fired up and mad because why? Because it sells. And not that shouldn't people shouldn't be mad, but I mean, is it getting us to where we want to go so that we all can 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 advance? And what purpose does that type of scene have to traumatize people of color further? Is it blood libel? Do you know what blood libel is? Blood libel was the myth during Nazism that perpetuates today that Jewish people drank the blood of infants, Christian infants. And it's called blood libel because it, it was a it was something that people started to really believe that turned them against Jews and helped to create the persecution of Jewish people because if they would drink the blood of an infant, then they're pretty horrible people, right? I mean, and that was what was portrayed. So now are we showing white people murdering black infants? to get people angrier and angrier and more and more divided? What purpose does it serve? What purpose does making everything we do into a race fight? What does it do that helps us? Today, I took a photograph of a rainbow over Newark, New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey is a predominantly black city. It's a majority minority city. I love this community. There are people from all different walks of life, all different ideologies, many who don't agree with me, many, many way farther left than me, some further right than me. But we have this really cool thing going where we we haven't destroyed each other. We haven't destroyed ourselves in many, many years. We are trying to make it work. We have an art scene. We have an economic scene. We have police working with the community. We have new funding for the street team. And we saw this rainbow and so many different Newarkers that I'm friends with on social media. We all posted this rainbow from different perspectives across the city. And we shared each other's pictures of the rainbow. And as trivial as it sounds, it felt good. It was spring. It's spring. And we're all under the same rainbow. And nature is a marvel. And we have the privilege and pleasure of existing together in this thing we call life and forging ahead together under this rainbow and enjoying what nature and what God, if you believe in it, has laid out for us. And that's great. But the media and certain entities continue to want to force upon us at every chance they get racial divisiveness. Now, that's not to say that race isn't important. That's not to say that racial division is not paramount in certain situations. The the Chauvin case with George Floyd, we all agree what we saw. Derek Chauvin, there is plenty of evidence on record that he was a racist, that he murdered a man by leaning on his neck for an extended period of time. And I pray to God. I pray to to God that those prosecutors got that conviction. I pray to God that Chauvin is found guilty. We need that guilty as a people. We need to see justice served for racism. We know that Ahmaud Ahmaud Arbery was racism. That was a modern day lynching. There is a racial element. We know that Dante Wright was the victim of systemic racism for even being in that position. That has claimed the lives of so many young black men and continues to, whether it's police officers or whether it's street violence, it continues to do so. 
There are certain aspects of our discussion that needs to be based on race, but why is some entity or group or whatever it may be trying so hard to continue to reinforce that narrative, even by withholding certain facts of a situation to make it more pronounced? Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'll tell you this. I did predict that the way things were organically and naturally going, that the way things were organically and naturally going with regard to Donald Trump and the new right and Trumpism and conservatism the way it had started to have a trajectory since the early 90s at least, I told you that fascism was a real possibility and that fascist tendencies were prevalent in Donald Trump and his rhetoric. I told you that. And it wasn't a conspiracy. And guess what? People said, you're crazy. What are you talking about? It's just regular conservatism in America. There's no fascism in the United States in the 21st century. Who are you kidding? But guess what? I was right about that. I was right about the fascism in the United States. I was right about fascism being an element of Donald Trump and the way that he sought to maintain power. I was right about that. And I'm right about this. I was invited. I don't know why they invite me to these things. And listen, every time I bring this up about the left, people say I'm full of it. You know, the left never calls for violence. The left is tolerant, this and that. Well, I was invited by some extreme leftists to some Facebook pages this week. I don't know why they did it. And I saw some things. And I have the screenshots to prove it. So anybody who thinks I'm making it up, you can contact me. And I saved the screenshots in case I needed to report them at any time. And also just to have them in case anybody doubts what I'm saying. There is a whole litany of people out there that certainly discuss violence. Certainly discuss violence against police officers. Certainly discuss violence against government officials. Certainly advocate for rioting and destruction. They call themselves comrade in some circles. This is not a joke. This is not a lie. They call themselves comrade. They are very pointed about their desire to bring about a Marxist revolution in the United States. Now, I'm not saying this is some widespread conspiracy that everybody's in on. This is organic, right? The media wants clicks and everybody plays into it. But there are certain people who want to would love to topple the current system, topple law enforcement, everything else, because they truly believe that these are, are all arms of a bourgeois capitalist machine. I will show you the screenshots from this week, okay? And here's the interesting thing. Where is this going? Am I just babbling? No, I'm not. We know that in the 60s, part of the reason we started to resort to fascism, part of the reason that identity politics became so prevalent in this country was that in the 1960s, the Republicans, the conservatives, pursued the Southern strategy. And what the Southern strategy was, which we all know, the Southern strategy was a way to use race as a dividing factor to generate votes from poor white people in the Southern states who normally would have voted Democrat for economic reasons. They specifically honed in on race and racial tension in order to create a divide that would benefit them politically. And it worked. That's why today the Republican Party is so entrenched and obsessed with whiteness and is so vehemently and outwardly racist in its voting proposals and things of that nature because they've completely developed their entire identity around race. And race in and of itself in this country 
was created to hold certain people down. It's a myth, right? People are of all kinds of mixed races. There's there's wide genetic, you know, similarities and differences across races. There really are is no difference in humans. Humans are humans. They have different hues of skin. Race was created by white people in this country to oppress people of color. That was what race was created for. It was a, a, a social construct to keep certain people down and elevate other people. And as certain groups came into this country and had to be reckoned with politically, they went from being not white to white. Italians are a very good example. When Italians first came here, they were not, quote, white. But over time, they became white because race is a social construct and it's consistently disadvantaged people that were darker among us. And that's why African-American people are still at such an inequitable disadvantage to this day. But race has been used from that beginning part, inception, through the Southern strategy and now continues to be used. Why do I say that? Well, I've talked about the fact that Ahmaud Arbery doesn't get as much attention, that the, the numerous people that we lose every day to gun violence don't get nearly the same amount of attention, that even Trayvon Martin didn't get even the same amount of attention as those who were killed by police officers. Why is that? Well, I've said that it's because the, the anti-police movement or the, 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 the movement that is concerned more with police deaths and not any other kind of death is a alliance between African-American people who, who truly care about black lives every day and care about racial justice and this anti-establishment leftist element that just wants to tear down the system, that being police. And so they've found this formula that works where if you make it about race when it involves the police, then many, many people, white, black, and every other color, will start to literally occupy precincts, take down government buildings, target police officers. If we make it about race, it just resonates more because everything in this country, if you make it about race, whether it's Trumpism, whether it's slavery, if you make it about race, it'll be more potent. And so the left sees an opportunity, the far left. I'm not talking about just Democrats or whatever. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people that I was on their page today and they were saying, no cop. This was a quote. No cop can ever be good. Black cops are no good. They're racist. They're pigs. They're pigs because they are arms of the bourgeois that is here to oppress. And any pig deserves what's coming to him. That's a quote that I saw. And I don't need to report it because the guy is well known by authorities anyway. But that was a quote. If you make it about race, you get more people on your side. And their goal is not necessarily to liberate the races. Their goal is to take down the system. And it's scary. And I won't contribute to it because I don't agree with Marxism and its totality. And I don't agree with the way they want to go about things. And maybe I sound like I'm babbling, but I'm not. I think there's a potent element in the society that wants to use race in order to divide us to take down something that they see as the system. But it's interesting because the police officers and those involved even in this tragedy, the woman that was a, that accused Mr. Wright of robbing her, she wasn't a member of the bourgeois. She had rent money in her bra that she just got. She wasn't a member of the bourgeois. People that die every day and are victims of the crime, most people who are victims of crime in this country are poor people. It's not the bourgeois. I understand that as an intellectual theory. I understand it as an intellectual ideology. But it's not really viable in today's society. I'm sorry. And we can have an intellectual debate about that. But I don't agree that it is. And again, I'm not going into conspiracies. 
okay? But I think there is an element of leftism and sometimes even violent leftism and then more innocent leftism that seeks to highlight certain cases and make them more about race, as much about race as they possibly can, and eliminate all complexity and eliminate all nuance and eliminate all room to have a logical discussion and eliminate all room for anything other than a purely racist, cold-blooded murder because it benefits the unrest. And foreign entities are interested in our unrest as well, and they push it. Now, I know that's a mouthful. I know it's an earful. I know it's not necessarily what a lot of you wanted to hear because, you know, you want to rage. You're mad. And I understand why you're mad. And and you're infuriated. And, and, and I understand why somebody be infuriated, not only that a tragedy occurred, but also that the way it was reported, it would make anybody angry and, and, and vehemently angry. But I'm not here to divide and I'm not here to to yell and pontificate. I'm here to just talk about the facts and to explore things that I think we should be mindful of in this society today. And we can make so many strides and we have so many common interests and we've made so many strides. And we can build and empower people who have been disadvantaged and we can build and empower people who have been discriminated against and persecuted. But we must be mindful of narratives and either profit goals or political goals that may conflict with our agenda of promoting equality and a better world and a better society. But I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I truly doubt whether we are ever going to get to that place, that promised land of harmony and equality because it seems as though for every step we make forward, we take two steps back. And while we have accountability, this cop is charged. We're still riding. We're still angry. We're still at each other's throats. And I just wish it wasn't the case. But I do have hope. The rainbow today gave me hope. You all give me hope. People who listen objectively and discuss things objectively give me hope. The prosecutors in the Chauvin trial give me hope. Those out there peacefully protesting, which is a beautiful thing and everybody's right to do, those peacefully protesting give me hope. And everybody who's out there trying to do the right thing gives me hope. But in order to attain what we can and the promise of what we can, the path we can get to, we've got to rise above some of the narratives that promote more and more division and more and more seething anger with one another and more and more false narratives. Because if we allow them to dictate the dialogue and the narrative and we don't question it at all, and we don't use our God-given intellect to rise above it and to discuss things civilly, we are losing the battle for the soul of humanity. Well, listen, that's my little uh, two cents for today. I know it was deep. Like, my birthday is in two hours. I love all of you guys. I love all of my friends and the people I've had the pleasure of coming in contact with. I love being alive. I love the fresh air and the spring weather. You think, I didn't want to come in here and get into this heavy stuff. Then I'm either anti-cop because I said the cops should get prosecuted. 
or I'm not with the cause because I dare point out the context of the situation. It's risky for me to talk about this stuff in this day and age, and that's a shame. I didn't want to do it, but I'm here because I have to do it. Thanks, Devo. I appreciate it. I'm here because that's what you guys tune in for, and that's the conversations we have. And I long for a day when we're not talking about this stuff, but it's good to get it out. It's good that, you know, people express themselves. Devo expressed himself in the comments. I talked to him. We had a conversation. He needs to be able to express himself. I need to be able to express mine. We all need to be able to express our opinions and perspectives. So I had to do it, but I don't enjoy it. I enjoy talking to you guys, but I don't enjoy talking about these subjects that are so taxing on all of us. But they have to be discussed. They have to be discussed. Otherwise, we're just ignoring a a, a serious problem. But that's my thoughts. I'm going to take a two-minute break. When I come back, I'm going to take calls. You can call me right on the app. Right. So, Rick, what's what's going on, my brother? I mean, I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, yeah, well, you labeled the show wrong last week, and so I didn't get to listen. <laughs> I saw that later. I was like, oh, I'm, you know what happened is I'm trying to start the app a certain way, like, because it's, I guess I was trying to abruptly start it to make sure it got on the air in time, and it's it kept the label from last week, so it said 27. I noticed after you put the frown face, I was like, Rick missed the damn show. My bad, dude. I made sure it was properly numbered this time to get you on. Hey, but, Mm-hmm. You did. Mm-hmm. All right. First of all, let me talk about whoever this Milton Miller person is. Milton he, Miller. You know, Wait, who's that? It's a, he's a mutual friend of you and Elliot Fant, and he sent me a Twitter request, and I friended him, and now all my friends are going, who's Milton Miller, and why is he asking me if I want a picture? <laughs> you know what? I know. I don't know who it is. But, yes, he added me from Elliot's page, and then he started asking me if I wanted, like, a cartoon or something drawn of me. He's like a spammer, yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, all my friends, dude. All my yes. friends. <laughs> me, too. I noticed every one of you, my friends' pages this guy was on. Any of you other guys dealing with this guy? And he does draw some cool cartoons, I guess, but, uh, yeah, spammer. Spammer. Yes. He definitely has to go, Rick. I agree. We got to we got to figure that out because he's a spammer and he's spamming – He's network spamming all of us through our uh, mutual yeah, networks. Big time. And it's the same thing. And I, and I even said to him, I, I hate to think this is the only reason you friended me. Yes. Because you know Yes. No, I know. Especially you. Yes. The way you are with things, I, I can totally see that. So I hear you. We got to deal with him. The effect of getting your show, um, no idea of your 36. Ooh, wow. I remember 36. Mm hmm. So, yeah, you're fucking old. I can't believe you're still alive. <laughs> Bro, see, I am old, though. Like, you're not going to tell me no, I'm young anymore. But you're not. You're not. Trust me, dude. You're going to get to my age. You're going to be like, man, I wish I was 36. Again. Okay. Holy that, shit. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> see, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. See? And, but, but, but more to the point of that is you were talking about have things gotten worse. And you're right. That That is every generation. Okay. And I think that we've got more of a... You know, with all this social media and everything, yes. you just see it more. Yes. I, I mean, take this. On the 11th, all these Trump people were supposed to go out and protest, right? Well, yes. There like 12 of them across the country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't show up at when it was all said and done. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's the it's the whole promotion of of that idea, and and this is going to tie into what I'm going to say next, which is going to be way less popular. Okay. But in agreement with what you were saying. Which surprised me pleasantly that you were in the same headspace as me about this whole Dante right thing. Right, right. Right. People, people don't see that. They're just 
like you said, air freshener. Yeah, no, that's not what happened. Right, not right, right. And you can have your own opinion either way, but at least have a full context of the situation before you develop it. And then it's fine, but don't don't just regurgitate something that's factually inaccurate. That That's just troublesome to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he struggled with – I mean, uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into yes, that yes. precisely. But I want to yes. get into the idea uh, that you were talking about about the promotion of this racial disparity and, and how – So right. here's some stats. Between two, 2013 and 2019, mm-hmm. 7,500 people were killed by police. Mm-hmm. 99% – no charges against the police. Okay. And about 25% of them were back. That's still 5,600 people that were not. So what percentage were non-black? 75? Less than a quarter. Just, yeah, like a quarter were, or, well, yeah, 75% were not black. Okay. And we agree that the 25% is still more than their population in the country, but but it's not the majority of people killed by police. It's just not. Right. And uh, the, the issue with that, I guess, is that people don't look at other statistics and almost 50 percent of all homicides are committed by black people. And nobody ever talks about that statistic. I would say that and it, it's a true fact that most homicides in, occur within a race. So most white people kill white people, most black people kill black people. So that would follow that what I'm always beating the table about is that if 50% of homicides are, are uh, uh, perpetrated by people of color, then 50% of all victims are probably people of color. So they also make up the disproportionate amount of murder victims. And I don't say that to counteract what you're saying. I say that to bring light to when we talk about these things, it's not to vilify anybody or to paint a negative picture. It's to talk about the issue we're dealing with in a factual sense. There's a problem there and it there's all kinds of causes for it, but there is a problem there that needs to figure into the conversation. Yes, and, and that's the thing, is in, in the world that most of us are trying to achieve, which right. is equality, it doesn't matter what race the victim was anymore, right? Right, right. It just, and in this particular case with Dante Wright, there was a reason to be afraid. And I don't know that the, I don't remember if the officer was the one that said she thought she had her taser or if the department initially tried to say she thought she pulled her taser. Either way, the guy shouldn't have died. But as you said, he also had handgun and violence issues right. that led to the warrant. And, and, you know, so, so it is, it is scary. And yes, you're right. There's a, there's an element of white privilege in, in that I never think I'm going to be killed in this exchange. Yes. But, but back to your issue, who's promoting that idea and why? Right. And I think it, it's definitely designed to keep us apart. I mean, to keep us divided so that we don't, because if we all rally together, they're, they're screwed. Just like the Trump rally people, they, they aren't prevalent. They, they aren't even a, close to a majority. The same with the left-wing anarchists, they are very, very small percentage of people. And I keep reminding people, I had a woman telling me today that the Republicans are all tight because the minorities, specifically Hispanics, are going to take over the population percentage-wise pretty soon, and then they're going to own everything. I'm like, 
whoa, 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 simmer down. Right. Uh, and her and I are friends. Right. And, and I'm like, the, the reality is, is that, yes, it has gone from, I think, 85% white when I was born, mm-hmm. which was a hell of a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> to, it's like, I think it's 60% now. That, right. That yes. White. But that's still a huge percentage. Right. And I keep. I'm all for white declining, by the way, Rick. Like, I'm fine with if, if white people are not the majority, like, fine. Let let it take its course. I don't, like, who cares, you know? I would love a, uh, a whole country full of beautiful, creamy, brown-skinned people. <laughs> like, forget white people, pasty-ass white people. Like, seriously, though, we should mix. Like, and I'm not saying that in jest, and I know you're not either. Like, who cares? I'm all for white not being the majority. Can't wait for that, honestly. Like, make it happen. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, and then what, what's going to happen, you know, when the Hispanic population does dominate? I said, then you're going to get Mexicans going, yeah, you're Puerto Rican. We're not going to deal with you. And the Puerto Ricans would be like, you're Cuban. What the hell are you doing? Right. Because there's I always mean, people and people are always fighting. Human, yes. Human fucking thing. Yes. And I believe purposely being divided. And I think – I don't know what the end plan is. I think it's just so that we don't see what's happening. Right, right. Like, right. We're so busy fighting each other. Yeah. We, we don't go, we don't go, hey, no, it's them. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. The, from the time I grew up where it was the man versus us, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. talked about that. Yes. It's, it's become which version of the man do we like better? I mean, that, how insidious is that? Right. right. Yes, that is a good point. Yes, yes. Yes, and, which and version now, do we like now better? We're right. fighting about, like, if the government's okay, mm-hmm. we're going to which side of the government yes. is best for us yes no and it's even it's not even they're unbashedly now like you know you're and i'm not saying so we know our nuanced versions of socialism I'm not against socialism as a theory and i know there's there's elements of it in our government now but meaning like people are not even scared anymore to be like yo straight up socialism's the way to go like dominate us that way and other sides like basically without saying it fascism's the way to go i want to be dominated by like a dictator like it it, 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 it's true though like no one's even trying to say well we aspire to better you know society than that to a more free society like which dominant you know historical governmental uh uh manifestation can dominate us better it's crazy you're right yeah, you're yeah. right, and it's it's disgusting because the reality is, is I would I would suggest a good eighty percent of us are like minded. Yes, in this country. yes, give or give or take. Yes, right? yes. But but now, uh, Brett, we, what what we got to get at is where is that coming from? Because I feel like there's some not a single group of you know the. The Illuminati or the mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are groups of people who are sowing the seeds of dissent, and they post the meme like in the Bible, eleven hundred right. mentioned, and only ninety-four women. Right. And only forty six of them get to talk. Right. It's like it's like a statistic that we're like, do we do we even need that right now just to cause another thing to fight about? Like why? Yeah, and who's putting that out there? Who's discovering that? And, and how do we get to the bottom of that? And I again uh, being from the generation I'm from, I think where we're at right now is very much like where the world was at before the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution. And I just, I don't think it needs to come to that. Right. You know, and now I see people advocating for that, just like, yeah, right. Tear down the police, right. tear down the, the establishment. Yeah. And I know I've 
had my share of that, but not in a violent way. Like I said, let's just all quit working, though. Know? Right, 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 right. That sort of revolution, right, which is what Gil Scott Heron right. talked about, like the revolution not televised, meaning the revolution's in our mind, and people are, like, talking about violent revolution right now again. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and the right wing has kind of done it, right? On January yes. 6th. That's exactly yeah, the right, right wing, that was a violent insurrection. Yes, yes. A violent revolutionary right. insurrection. Yes. No, I agree. So, Pretty much at the end of my say, I just had one more thing to add about the whole feminism aspect is mm. that I was told that doggy style is demeaning to women, and I just would like to hear from the women in the crowd because <laughs> I only had that experience once when I was dating a feminist. Very interesting. I will leave that to the thing. I have not heard that. I will leave it to the uh, the group here. I know Siren probably doesn't want to call, but she's talking a lot, so I hope she's calling. I'm going to ask her to call. She's got some thoughts. Rick, love the call as always. Thanks for calling. Thanks for uh, you know bringing some perspectives and adding to the conversation. Hopefully, we get some other callers right now. Hello, ma'am. Hello. I just have to get my headset. So. <laughs> so. You, I'm discussing this, uh, the hate you give film, and I think, I think what I just said was what you were getting at that that it is a problem, and that you know there is more of a heightened threat when the person is of is of color as opposed to not, and it even permeates people of color, and it's just that's the insidious nature of the racism we're dealing with on a fundamental level. It's, I don't know how to explain this to people who have not lived this life, but. It's, I've, I have friends of all different races and yeah. I'll be honest with you, driving with one of my best friends, Lindsay, she, um, she's Caucasian, you know what yep. I'm saying? I don't feel as stressed out driving with her because right. I, I feel like, um, a lot of people don't view me as black first of all, which is ridiculous, but I am. And right. so I have, you know. They view me as other, check that box. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm driving with Lindsay, I feel less stressed. Cops can go by us. Mind you, like we're blasting music and everything, but I feel less stressed. If I'm driving with one of my other friends who are black, I'm like more cautious. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like there's a level of stress there. And even, you know, it's like, I don't think people really get that. It's like, it's already ingrained in their heads that like, that when they stop you as a black person, it's already like an escalated situation. And where I live at is um, a pretty nice area. You know right. what I'm saying? And the, the police officers in this area, they know me, they wave to me and I'm like really chill over here. But right. when I go over to where my dad lives, which is kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say hood, but because that's, that's such a terrible wood, word, but you know, it's, it's, I'm, I have a different, I carry myself differently yes. over there in that area. And it's, and it's, it's, it sucks that you have to have that mindset, you know what I'm saying? And I know that hopefully one day we can overpass that, but like, you know, what he was like, everybody mixing and stuff. It's, it's getting there, but there's still going to be issues like, Right now, there's colorism in the black race. Just like I told you, there's black women who look at me and they're like, oh, she's not black or she's right. not black enough. Or if yes. I'm hanging out with my white friends, they're like, oh, she thinks she's white. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Or she's, she's lighter. Yeah, you know? human nonsense. Yes. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like I'm not like I, I feel like I'm not allowed to be. I'm always myself, regardless of who I'm with. 
But yes. I feel like sometimes, like, my black friends don't think I'm, like, black enough because I listen to all kinds of music and stuff. And they're like, what are you listening to? You know, right. and things like that. And then when I'm with my white friends, it's like, for some reason, there's, like, hardly any crossover. Like, I can't chill with the same group of people. Like, I have different circles. And I fit in with all of them. But they don't fit in with each other. And it's, like, the weirdest thing. You know? An interesting thing, I'll bring up two points about what you said, which I think I uniquely understand. I think, I think, we, I think hopefully all of us, at least that listen to this show, understand that there's a heightened awareness and apprehension when you're a person of color getting pulled over, especially in unfamiliar neighborhoods, especially by a white cop in an area that you're not familiar with. I think we all agree with that, hopefully. I don't know that everybody does, but everybody on this show what I'll say is, yeah, there's an element of profiling. For instance, when I when I was younger, first of all, I got pulled over way more because I was younger driving a Cadillac. And now they see me have glasses. I'm thinning hair. Then They just decide that, well, we're not going to pull him over. He's like a middle-aged white guy, which is <laughs> in and of itself privilege, though. I almost know that at this stage, right? right? right. But interestingly, when I was dating an ex-girlfriend who was a black woman, and we would go into the more, you know, rough, rougher areas of Newark. Mm-hmm. And I was driving. If I was driving myself, sometimes they pull me over because they say, "Well, what are you doing here?" Oh, I'm just driving through. But if I was with her, it was like a magnet. They pulled us mm-hmm. over every single time. And guess what? All the cops are black. That pulled me over. I don't think the cop matters. I think the cops, I think in general, there's profiling and yeah, yeah. you know about the profiling and you feel it. Like I know because she's in the passenger side, I'm in this neighborhood. They think, even though we're just running to say something to her mother, or grab something from the coffee shop, that we're up to no good, which is indicative of the profiling and the racial strife that goes on in this country. And it's, it's, I don't know how to explain what it is, but it's a heightened but, thing and it's a problem people. And it, when situations like this occur, people feel that because they've gone through it. So they react on that basis, which is understandable, you know, because they've felt that it's pent up for so long. But it's a neighborhood thing too, though. You know what I mean? Like what I was saying earlier, like over here, there's not, like, I don't feel stressed by cops. Right. I don't. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yes. and, but yet I am, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of mixing over here either. You right. know what I mean? So it's like, I, we do stand out, but they know us. So it's like a different, but when yes. we first got here, it was like, they were like, why are they in this neighborhood? You know, right. like, right. <laughs> so it was like, okay, but now they're, they're like, okay, they're a normal fixture in this neighborhood. But I think it has to do with like cops in general, they expect to go to like the lower economic neighborhoods yes. and, and expect to to have confrontation because they just yes. feel like they're a lower class of people. And that's not true. It's just that they have less opportunities in those right. neighborhoods. And that's the kind right. of mindset that needs to change. It's like they come in like already aggressive because, oh, we're in this neighborhood. So we have to be aggressive because we don't know what's going to happen. Meanwhile, it's in the nice neighborhood that, the guy is holding his wife and kids hostage. You know what I mean? No, like, that's a really good point. You know? Yes. It's crazy. 
and I think people in those neighborhoods feel and I and, and I've on this show too, I've criticized liberals and people on the right for lumping people in neighborhoods into a certain box, whether they think they're patronizingly helping them or they're, you know, talking negatively about them, they tend to lump people in because of a certain neighborhood. And it's really a problem. Right, right. And people policing neighborhoods that they don't they're not from, they don't deal with, they don't know, is even worse problem. Like you can't be going into your day job as if you're going into like an occupied territory. That's completely exactly. wrong. And I, I've noticed Siren, that a lot in these Midwestern states where we see a lot of these these unfortunate tragic events, it is that system still where they have these suburban white cops going into these other areas of color as if it's an occupied territory, and it creates all kinds of problems. It's hostility from the onset, and that's yes. like the main thing that we, I feel like they have to like there's cops in, in when I was growing up in Brooklyn that, you know, um, I don't know if I could say this or not, but like they would respect you. Like, you know, if you're, you know, yes. smoking or whatever, you just put yeah, it to yeah, the yeah. side, yeah, I hear you. you know yeah. what I mean? And they're like, yeah. okay, I know her. She's cool. Like, yes. you know, as long as you show them that respect, but then other cops would come into the, into the neighborhood where I lived out in Brooklyn and they would be like, Oh, you know, what are you guys, what are you kids doing hanging around? Like they didn't know us and there was always hostile. And I right. feel like the people that, that like enforce our neighborhood should be from that neighborhood. I mean, yes. I know it's hard to do that, but I think that would be helpful. And, I'm in full, oh, and full agreement, full agreement. That's the huge thing. That's like the number one thing that has to happen in my opinion. Like the number one first step. Yes. Yes. I agree. And back to what Rick was talking about, that I've never heard that. I just thank you because I haven't either. I'm glad you're <laughs> um, a female. What? <laughs> yeah, no. I never heard that either. I've never heard that just, either. Yeah, but then just two before you're done, too. I agree with the other thing with the circles and 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 my circle of friends for whatever reason have been fortunate enough and i think partly maybe it's just because i've who i've weeded out certain people are just jersey so smashed together probably more similar to your experience in new york that yeah. both my circles can interact but i've been in other circles like people from work right. or you know who aren't on my day-to-day you know radar or whatever who yeah they can't vibe with the other part of me i can vibe with them but there's a general general like unfamiliar unfamiliarity with other people and lack of interaction between people of different races and 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 type and ethnicities and they really don't have any exposure to each other and you and i who effortlessly flow between both and we understand right. the different nuances and behaviors of different people we could just vibe they don't have that and it creates more of a problem because they just don't understand each other on any level and we've seen it because we've been in both circles and we're like yo but you really are you prejudiced it? too like by like on your invitations, like, okay, if I'm going out and I know like I have a group of people that I can discuss like politics and aliens and all of that stuff with, right. I'm, I like, I, you know, and they'll be like, oh, you know, invite whoever. I won't invite some of my friends who like their main topics of conversation is like, you know, reality TV and hip hop music. Because right. I just don't, you know, and I feel bad because I'm like, I'm ju I'm prejudging within my own circles. Like yes. I know, yes. you know, and I and it, I know I need to stop that. But I I do like you know 
kind of censor who gets to hang out with each other. And I don't mean to, but it's just like, I already in my mind know it's like, I don't think they would vibe, but maybe I should invite them to talk to each other because maybe that'll help bridge the gap a little bit. I've no. been in situations where there's certain people, if, if they're so far to one end of like cultural, like interests, I know like, ah, uh, this might not be a fun time, right. just, but you know, I'm still hesitant when it's that far, but when I have tried to experiment and like mix people together, like you guys don't seem like you have the right interest, but if I put you in a room, they found common ground. I've actually been encouraged by that. And then I feel better because everybody's vibing with each other. And then I could be more myself with all my friends. So I think it's a give and take, you know, other times you're at the vibe and you're like, nah, this vibe just ain't quite working because I tried to mix somebody who's into science, like vehemently and somebody right. who's like straight up conspiracy <laughs> off the wall you know and, and they just are sitting in a corner then you know like damn i can't mix that so i gotta put them in the right environment or give them and then you feel bad because you yes. have to be the one that's like bridging yes. the gap between them and it's like you can't even enjoy yourself and yes. that's so where I've i find there. myself 100 so. percent, yes and that's the burden we live with i think it's like intellectuals and as people that are just like diverse in our socialization so it's crazy it's crazy but I love the call. I appreciate it. I really wanted you to call to talk about that stuff because I thought it was, you know, it just I wasn't going to, but I said, you know, I haven't for the couple of times. So it's your birthday gift. Yeah, I, I, birthday. See, I appreciate that. I really, really, really appreciate that birthday gift on the eve of my birthday because, you know, I make these points and, yo, it's it's hard sometimes. I'm like, I hope I'm making it eloquently and as balanced as possible so that people understand where I'm coming from. And I just like having different voices. Rick, you just weigh in to like tie it together and whatever. It just helps me carry the end of the show and whatnot. So I really appreciate it. You know, it helps. All right. Well, it was cool talking to you. Good you show. You too. Siren, I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Later. So, guys, that's... uh. That's pretty much the uh, – and Hanin, yeah, the barbecue is popping. The barbecue is July 3rd, and you know he's very excited because we got a lot of food getting ready, and it's going to be a great time. So we are very excited about the barbecue. That just shows, look, I love hanging out with all different kinds of people and just like you know getting together and just having you know food and just celebrating, breaking bread with everybody. So we do that, and that's just a part of you know how I think – uh, humanity could be and you know kind of kind of a, a cool dope thing so guys i loved hanging out with you as usual i I, re I really appreciate the the opinions the back and forth the discussion because it's a it's a deep discussion it's a heavy discussion it's not light it's not easy content there's a lot going on and i feel like if i didn't address it then i'm just copping out of what the show is and i'm copping out of who i say i am so we, we had to talk about it we had to be honest about it um, feel free to DM me to talk about if there's anything we didn't get to if you wanted to express your opinion about what was said what was talked about uh, and you don't think it came across here or you want to just bring up a point with me or anything um, just feel free to reach out to me I'm always open to talk to anybody and, and, and if anything that was said or anything that was gone over you, you take issue with or you, you, know, you think could have been talked about a different way or any ideas please reach out to me I'd love to hear from everybody I really respect all of you for contributing and all of you for vibing and, and, and being open-minded. And uh, I'll talk to all of you soon. Everybody enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the weather. I will be back next week. This was another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast with your host, Larry Crane. And again, I speak for only myself, only as...
a private citizen just to talk to my friends and family on social media. Talk to you all very soon. Good night. Bye.